you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or are looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. You're in for a treat today because I had an opportunity to sit down with none other than Manuel Godoy, an Army veteran and recent Shark Tank participant where he walked away with a $500,000 investment from Mark Cuban and Kevin Hart for his company, Black Sands Entertainment, the number one Black-owned publishing house and comic book company in the nation. Manuel and his wife, Giselle, also an Army veteran, started the company together in 2016 with the original intent to create video games. Due to the challenges and funding requirements of the gaming industry, they pivoted into comic book production and found success with their flagship series, Black Sands, The Seven Kingdoms. Manuel and his team are on a mission to create stories of black people before slavery, leveraging comics and other forms of new media. On the show, he opens up about the challenges of raising venture capital for Black Sands, why more black founders need to leverage crowdfunding, and his plan to turn Black Sands into a billion dollar publishing house. If you all haven't noticed, we've had some amazing guests throughout this entire month. So words getting out about the show. And I'm fired up to have such high caliber veteran entrepreneurs like Manuel with us today. Before you hear from Manuel and I, make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. I send out a newsletter at least once a week sharing the latest episode of The Transition. And if there's a topic or guest you'd like me to have on the show, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org. Also, we recently launched a new Bunker Online community on the Mighty Networks platform. This is a great place to connect with other entrepreneurs within Bunker Labs. Click the link in the show notes and join today. I'm super active on Bunker Online, so hopefully we can get on there and start engaging with my content. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, the foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Manuel, welcome to the bunker. I'm fired up, y'all. I'm geeking again because I get to meet the legendary founder, co-founder of Black Sands Entertainment, man. I'm so happy to have you here at the bunker with us today. Hey, no problem. Thank you so much for talking to me today. He's just got back from, you know, uh, traveling the world, spreading the Black Sands love after that Shark Tank uh, win, <laughs> that PR circuit. And uh, he's making time to engage the veteran community, man. And uh, what I was telling you in a pre-interview, when we see people like you winning, you know, it shows others uh, what's possible. Because, you know, 40% of veterans, I mean, 40% of those, in, over 40% of those in the military are minorities. And, you know, when we see us getting out and starting successful ventures, especially something as cool as you're doing and going on a platform like Shark Tank and women winning, I felt like you just saw so many people champion you all and showing you all some love. And uh, I was just like, man, I have to reach out. Yeah, that, that was definitely one of those crazy moments to have. Right. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of opportunities have come our way over the five years that we've been in business. Right. And they just disappeared. Right. Like, hey, we're going to do this, this and this. And, and then it just goes away. Right. So, you know, we were very um, skeptical of everything. 
right? I was even skeptical of everything until the day it aired, right? I was, they'll let me know three day, three weeks prior, and I'm like, well, let's wait to see what happens when it comes on TV, right? So even then, I'm like, you know, I'm shook. I'm like, like, like I don't want to be too happy about things just in case. And when it did happen, it was a a, a metric, you know, life changing event, you know, for us. So yeah, it was pretty and good. Now that you've had some space from the 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 release, how does it feel now? How are you settling in? Yeah, um, well, we get a lot of interest um, from the media in general now. Uh, a lot more interest than we had before. Uh, um, you know, uh, sales is up always, right? So sales is up, uh, which was pretty hard to do. So that's that that's very good to see that going even higher than it was. Uh, and you know, uh, we're not even done with our um, negotiations yet. So you haven't seen anything from Mark Cuban and and, and Kevin Hart yet. Once they get on it, you know what's good, what's going to happen. It's going to be you know we're going to go we're going to go like like really quick because you know right now you know we're doing one point two million dollars last year, right? Imagine what happens when they just call a couple people. They're like, right, you know, a couple of them calls. <laughs> I saw one of your interviews. You said nothing is final till that ink is on the paper. You know, yeah, yeah, I don't believe up until that. I don't believe nothing. I don't, I don't say nothing. I don't know nothing. I ain't ever talked to nobody. That's how it is. <laughs> so I know we jumped in and started chatting. Do me a favor, introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah. So uh, my name is Manuel Godoy, the CEO of Black Sands Entertainment and writer of Black Sands: The Seven Kingdoms. Uh, you know, I'm a military veteran, been in for about six years, uh, radar technician, one of those big brains, you know, uh, working on <laughs> radars all the time. And, and it just really, uh, you know, prepared me for uh, being an entrepreneur in general, because there's a lot of paperwork you got to do in that field. You know, a lot of inventory, um, you know, sourcing, a lot of, you know, just a whole bunch of independence, right? It's not one of those things where you're, you know, you're, you're in the machine, right? And you have your one little piece of work there, but radar technicians are very hard to come by in, in the in the military. So it was a very independent uh, um, type role, and you had to learn a lot of hats, right? And that helped me in the outside when we got out, and uh, that's why our company has scaled so rapidly. You know, making comic books. I mean, think about it. There's no other independent creators who are even close to what we have done in this space. So um, I definitely put um, put that almost exclusively on my um you know experience in the military and you know i think everybody needs to understand that what they learn in there is not useless you know i'm like i'm like some of that algebraic equation stuff that we get in school <laughs> yeah that's why we're having this interview today because i'm watching the i don't have cable so i'm watching uh you pitch on shark tank through your ig that you were running at the time and when your wife mentioned uh i think it was a mark cuban or mr wonderful uh, why you all would be successful or how you were able to build the business, even though you didn't have this comic book background and you referenced your military service, my ears perked. And I was like, I love this company. I need to, I need to learn more about Black Sands. And so I start just diving in on y'all's website and was just blown away. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. It was fun. It was fun, though. We, we had a lot of it was a great segment and they really like edited it well. So we looked like we were in charge the whole time. It was cool. <laughs> how long were y'all there? How long is the actual? It was like it was really like forty minutes or something. Really, and they chop it down to like twelve. <laughs> now I listened to another podcast interview with you, and you are a relentless Shark Tank listener. 
So this isn't yeah. like you just came in there and didn't know what to expect. Oh even no, I knew that, everything. I even knew everything. With that, were you sweating? I wasn't, but but you never know what the heck's gonna happen when Kevin Hart's there, right? Because he's like the like wild card scenario. You're like, you know, I was perfectly um, ready for the scenario where it would be five five white sharks. Happens all the time, right? So, right? It's like David John's not there. Most times it's gonna be five white sharks. So you got to be able to pitch that of uh, a, a company um, publishing history before slavery, right? And you got to somehow make that relevant to five white sharks, right? So um, I was always, I was super prepared. Like for me, I was like gunning for uh, uh, freaking Kevin O'Leary, right? Like, like he's my favorite shark out of all the the base sharks, right? <laughs> it was like, so I was like, Kevin got me. No matter what happens, he's going to hear units sold, and perpetuity on books, and he's done. I got him. I don't have to worry about nothing. I don't have to change my deal too much. He's gonna be good, you know. And, and you know, but then Kevin came on with veto power, right? Kevin Hart's like, I got veto power. I make movies, and I'm like, he does make movies. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's you know, it was just one of those things where, where everybody got out the way too. If you noticed it, yeah, like because Kevin O'Leary, he like. He didn't even push on that fact. He knew that like, he was like, I'll take the deal when I said 10% and 25% and 25 cent royalty. He said, I'll take that deal. But he knew that that wasn't a deal for him. Right. I was I was telling Kevin Hart, please come down from where you're at. Right. And then once you saw that, he was like, yeah, you got to admit, though, I mean, this is not a normal guy right here. You know, he's like, he's like that really what you're asking for is like it's like he's telling you what he's about to do, not not what your company's worth. Like that's not what he's doing. He's saying what I'm worth right now to push your, to make this thing happen, right? Because I mean, at the end of the day, think about it, right? He can have us have the most all-star cast of, of of voiceover actors instantly. You just call them up, you know. We can have literally like James Earl Jones as the Hootie, <laughs> right? And, and a lot of the distribution channels he already has. Yeah, he know. even owns his own distribution channels. It's just it's so much independence and power that he can bring to the table uh, that, you know, equity is equity, man. People don't even understand the word equity in our community a lot, like uh, veteran community and the black community. They don't understand what equity is. Man, he's taking 30 percent from you. Do you know what equity is? Because equity is not 30 percent of, of what? Voting power? He said, you realize veto is veto power. Like, like if I own 51 <laughs> percent. There is no questions about what's going to happen in the company. I'm in charge, right? And and it only matters if I exit, right? And do I really plan on exiting? Like that's something on my personal decision I would do in the future. But it's not something I'm planning on doing. I'm not planning on exiting the company, right? I'm planning on getting up there and then punching people in the face until they get annoyed by me, right? I'm I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to get up there, right? And uh, you know, if they own 30% of that, great. If they want to sell their shares, it's all them, right? But at the end of the day, right, uh, it doesn't affect me from a business running operations scenario. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me one bit, you know? This is chess, not checkers, you know? Is and it? again, when Kevin Hart, I mean, he's right. He's got the audio books going. He's a household name, especially the kids and a lot of this stuff. So there's a lot of positivity and opportunities that you saw, you know, and uh, kudos you for uh, taking advantage of that. But I just get the feeling just from what I've heard, what it took for you to even get to that point from a revenue perspective, right? 
Like you were going to be successful regardless. It just might look a little different, but I have it'll all the longer. confidence in the world. It might take longer. Yeah, it'll take longer, but you know, this is like the shortcut, right? Because at the end of the day, I don't want to, I don't ever want to, uh, I don't want to miss my moment, right? At the end of the day, like I know I'm, I'm making some risky plays by doing certain things, but you know, I don't want to miss my moment because how long can you possibly trend, right? You got to get to that next stage, right? And you got to get there quickly. And, you know, um, this is definitely making it so that we get there astronomically faster than we did before, right? And hopefully with just sheer momentum, you know, within five years, who knows, we might hit a billion, you know? I love it. Happen. It might happen, you know? So one of the things we do on this show is we take off our armor. And, you know, a lot of times people look so successful on Instagram and social media. You're just coming off a shark tank. So everybody's like, man, what problems he got? He ain't got no problems. He's off to the races. Do you mind taking off your armor for our viewers, our listeners, and uh, letting us know something you're struggling with, either personally or professionally, as a veteran founder? Hmm. Okay. Uh, well, I would say one of the one of the big things that I've had a problem with in general is uh, recruitment for like just just um, publishing new titles and stuff like that. Uh, mostly because most of the people who've been in this space who actually make amazing content right indie creators and stuff they just can't make any money because they have no clue how to market or whatever right so they just have no clue how to make money but they will not do um like publishing deals with me no matter how favorable the terms right <laughs> they won't do distribution deals with me no matter how favorable the terms uh because they came up with me they were there when i was just starting off and i was basically learning from them Right. And they can't transition that idea that, you know, if I did it, they can do it, too. Right. And the reality is not everybody. There, there is a, a clear understanding. There is a CEO. Right. It's like there are officers in this world. Right. And it's like you just can't do the officer's job like out of nowhere. Right. Sometimes people are just more prepared to, to lead a large scale scenario than you are, you know, and and, and they don't see it that way. They don't see it as me being different. They think that I somehow got lucky, right? Like, like, like there isn't like a straight like line, like line graph that shows my sales um like like just doubling every year, right? For for five years, like that that's not obviously like oh he got on TV and he's been successful. Like it's like it's like it's a, like, it's a very very simple like regional. So so I see that a lot. I see that that resistance. New people that's just getting into the game absolutely love me, right? So I have to train a lot of people up, a lot of training, just getting them prepared for making comics and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, that's one of the biggest things. It's just getting new content. Uh, um, and, you know, I wish I could license content. I wish I could distribute it. But these cats are like, you know, who are you? <laughs> I can I can relate. I'm not from Newark, New Jersey. I relocated here after I got out of the Marines and I started a free boxing gym for the community within a year and a half of moving to the city. And you've got amateur boxing coaches that have been here 20, 30 years, you know? And so there is a sense of who are you? You know, uh, how did you make this happen that we have these magical lepre leprechauns in the back pockets that just print money for us? And that's not the case at all. And one of the things that I just kind of feel like, I feel like a lot of us as veterans, we just move different. You know, 
we have that like leadership and that just grit and resilience and a lot of the stuff we developed in the military you know it, it does transition in the business yeah i definitely agree on that it has to i mean at the end of the day you know first of all people get very confused about what the military is you know it's a it's a way of life you know it's not it's not a nine to five job it's a way of life sometimes sometimes your your whole weekend's gone because they said so you know <laughs> it's, it's like that's it there's no like like oh i'm not scheduled for the weekend no it doesn't matter if you're scheduled for a weekend right <laughs> it's like everything is 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 like every you're always on the clock in the military period you're always on the clock and when you get your time you get your time you know and and, and you know that's the that's kind of a benefit in the military just to understand the idea that you know uh you always have responsibilities right never goes away even when you're off duty or whatever you're never off duty in the military <laughs> it's just the way it is so with that take us back talk to us about how you became a, a entrepreneur you know because this show is about that transition and you know when people are getting out what do we know we can do people go work in corporate america maybe they go to college but start a comic book company and I know initially you were do, trying to do video games. So I'm excited to hear how you were able to make that transition uh, into what you're doing now. It's actually a pretty tr traditional like transition the way I did it, because I did try everything out first before I went hardcore like vigilante, like, uh, you know, independent. So uh, when I did my comic book, did some Kickstarter, you know, I did a Kickstarter campaign, raised like 20,000. That was normal. That was a normal, you know, way to get into this space make a comic, go to Kickstarter, do that. But then I, um, in Christmas of that year, I decided to, you know, get a kiosk at the mall, right? It's like first person, first thing anybody does, they don't want to take too much risk, buy a whole storefront, right? So they buy a kiosk at the mall, see what happens during the Christmas season. Uh, and, you know, uh, that went, worked out well. I did about $6,000 in sales over Christmas. But what was funny about that was I was stuck in the booth for about 14 hours a day, the entire Christmas season, right? Maybe business was there, like maybe on the weekends, Friday, but most of the days there was nothing, like no real traffic going on. So you just stuck there waiting for, for a hopefully sale to happen. Meanwhile, online on Facebook and Instagram, I'm killing it doing, and I did like $65,000 in sales that Christmas season online, right? And I'm trying to also ship all these, you know, things. I got to pack them myself, right? Me and my wife were working on packaging these books while also dealing with the kiosk. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not ever doing a storefront, right? <laughs> right? So storefronts instantly got rocked, knocked off the books right then and there, right? That avenue of, hey, make a store, do what you got to do. That's off the thing from, from that point on because online sales showed me how much I scale just by reaching people directly through social media. Then I started doing touring, right? I went to tours, uh, Artist Alley and multiple different conventions, the traditional path, right? Did a lot of conventions, 25 conventions in a year, you know, probably did about $60,000 in sales, right? And I was like, okay, cool. I did 60,000 in sales. I did 220,000 online, not going anywhere, not doing anything, but shipping books, right? And, you know, after a while you just start realizing even you know going to shows is obsolete compared to having a strong marketing game online 
and you know really narrowing down on your audience because you know what when you do a, con a convention in tennessee you don't know what <laughs> you don't know the demographics of the audience you don't know whether they're going to be down for your cause or not you don't know any of that stuff but when you do a, a targeted ad on facebook you know who's going to see your ad for the most part right and you can actually like convert them at a high level compared to you know going to a random place in, in another state plus the manpower and the and traveling and all that stuff so eventually we knocked off conventions completely off of our uh our thing and just said we're going 100 percent online from now on we're going to go um you know direct the consumer and we started scaling there you know and then we said all right we're growing a lot we can't do this forever. We can't do Kickstarters forever. Let's start raising capital. We got to prepare for that. And that was a nightmare. <laughs> because, because you have to actually like reinvent the entire way you do accounting, right? You can't just say, hey, I want to raise a million dollars. And they're like, okay, sure, no problem. You got to do a lot of CPA reviews and audits and people have to go through your books and clean them up, make sure that everything's, you know, clear and, you know, you got to deal with the IRS and, it just gets really, really complicated. And if you don't, if you're not prepared to do all that, or if you haven't even thinking about that beforehand, you know, you kind of just, just can't transition to it, you know? So it was really, it was a crazy, it was a crazy um, path, uh, but it was very, if you were running any business, not just a comic book business, right? First thing you would try is instead of a storefront, you get a kiosk, right? Instead of a, instead of a restaurant, you get a freaking food cart. Right. It's like, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? it's like it's like it's, a, it's a, the safer option to see how the market responds. And then once you find out certain ways, make more money and then you go and transition to that. That's what's been going on with me for five years. You know, obviously you're good at what you do, because a couple of things were you constantly talk about the numbers and the sales. And one thing that, you know, we always try to emphasize on the show is how important it is for founders to especially underestimated founders to drive revenue, you know, validate that market. And it sounds like across your journey, you've been driving revenue, but I'm curious to know, take us back even further. How did you get up to that kiosk? How did you get into comic books? Because that's just such a non-traditional route. And I'm interested in learning about your, your, your transition out of the military as well. Well, um, my transition out of the military, uh, you know, after I, after I got the military, uh, I was in the reserve for a little bit, uh, just doing that thing. But um, I became a, a telecommunications engineer, right? So there's people who draw the maps for, you know, Fios and UVerse and everything else, right? The, 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 that's, that's what a telecommunications engineer is. And I basically was doing that for about, I'd say, a good year or so. You know, I was going to make like 2000 a week. So it was crazy. <laughs> it was a really high paying job. Uh, uh, you know, it was one of those buddy buddy things. Like, like I didn't have no degree, no education in this at all. Right. They were just like, Hey, I know somebody who knows somebody. They think you might be a good fit. See if you could do it. If you can't, you can't, but, <laughs> but if you can, then, you know, we got a spot for you. So I learned that, did that. Uh, and then about a year in, it was completely outsourced the entire field, like across the United States. Everything was outsourced to India, right? And I was like, wow, that was interesting, right? So, uh, you know, after making that kind of money, right, you kind of get, like, you know, anybody gets a standard of living at that point. You're like, look, I ain't about to go do no regular job, right, if I could have done that. You know what I'm saying? So 
So I went to um, college for a couple of years trying to find my space. I went to go into video game design, uh, kind of washed out on that, ended up doing writing, kind of washed out on that, ended up doing economics, finished that, right? <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, um, it was a crazy, like, path to get to that point uh, because, you know, it was hard to find real good employment. Right, you can find employment. I can find employment, no problem. But you know, to be gainfully employed, the way I know that you know my educational you know level was, couldn't find it. You know, and uh, I started writing. I've been writing for a long time, and I tried to make a Black Sands video game in 2016. Uh, failed at that. I spent like twenty thousand dollars. Made a good demo, right? But I was like, this is gonna be so expensive to finish, right? And I was like, I can't. I can't finish this thing. There's no way. Right. So I said instead I transitioned the story to a comic book. Right. Uh, Kids to Kings. Right. And that was the first issue of Black Sands. And, you know, that just took off. So after that, I started becoming a comic book guy. As far as comic books, I'm not a comic book fan at all. I'm an anime guy. So, you know, when you read our comics, you'll probably catch that vibe. Right. <laughs> Where it's more of a manga slash anime than it is a comic. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's just the way it's always been. You know, I've, I've always been that way. A huge history buff. I love history stories. I love acts of sacrifice and patriotism. So, um, spoiler alert, not everybody's going to survive in Black Sands. Sorry if y'all think that way, but that's not the way the story goes. That's not the way history goes anywhere. So, so <laughs> there will be sacrifices at the end of the day. But, you know, um, I feel like that's important in storytelling. And a lot of American cinema just sucks at it, you know. We just, we just, I uh, just, uh, people gotta die, man. Sometimes you just gotta have heroic, heroic deaths, you know. <laughs> you need it. <laughs> you've clearly tapped into a a market pool, in a sense. You've created something that people want, and a lot of times, like you said, when you were raising capital, the people that you were raising capital from initially, they didn't want to give you capital. You know, so you had to go to the people on the crowdfund and you've really tapped into something. What is it about this kind of time period and this your approach to building Black Sands? Like why these, you know, why do you think people are resonating so hard on these comic books? Well, I just think it's like an open rebellion against uh, the whitewashing of uh, black history in general. Right. It's just just a super open rebellion that people can have. You know the ability to control the narrative right and that's the kind of idea that we're doing like we don't even have like like 90 percent of our base is not comic book fans at all right They're like parents educators and stuff like that right and um you know it's at the end of the day you know there is no illusion that black people have had their entire ancestral heritage totally ripped from them right and literally like beaten out of them so that they would have no identity at all to the African continent. So for us, our ability and why we say history before slavery is because we want to bring back all of these uh, ancestral stories, right? Uh, not just gods and not just you know super powerful people, but like regular you know it could be a straight up drama in the Mali Empire, right? Random people, not even like kings or nothing. It don't matter to me so long as it's in an ancient setting that we can call our home, because that is the um, that is the important part of it. It's having legacies that we can go back to, 
right? Because think about it this way. You can totally create like a new movement in culture that's global if you play your cards right. People think it's so hard to do, but it's not because back in 2005, ain't nobody give a damn about no damn bet Vikings. Nobody cared about Vikings at all. They're like, what a Vikings? Nobody even, like, like you know, it was such a rare thing to talk about. All they knew was Thor. That was it. That was about as Viking as a guy. They have horns on their helmets, right? No, right. they didn't. That was just something the comic books did. But they didn't have horns in their helmets, right? It's like, it's like so, but nobody cared about Vikings. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, I honestly believe the History Channel started with the series Vikings, and it just started becoming a phenomenon where everybody was doing Viking stuff, right? And it just, they did the, they did it right. They started off once, got a really big hit, and then everybody wanted to tell more Viking stories. And, and you know, that's what we need. We need that one big hit. Black Sands will be that hit. And then it's just going to be a plethora of freaking stories about African civilizations. This is going to come out, you know, in response. When you were introducing Black Sands into the, the sphere, Right. The entrepreneurial ecosystem, like we talked about before in a pre-interview, you weren't getting a lot of traction when you were trying to go to investors. Oh, yeah. Or you were trying yeah. to do pitch competitions. Talk to us about that. Well, um, I was rejected multiple times by publishers in the industry after I already sold like twenty five thousand books. Like, like so I had sold a lot of books, a lot more than what they you know, their good best expectations of a comic that they newly acquire from an independent creator. Right. So I was already doing way more than what they were doing, but they were denying it for the most ridiculously non-racist, racist reasons. So 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 a good example would be this. I don't know if this title is marketable to the current buyers and the, the thing. We might have to have a higher marketing budget for this title in order to sell as many books as you have already. And I'm like. You know, to me, but then I think about it, I'll be like, okay, what they're saying is 95% or probably more than that, like 98% of comic book stores are owned by rural white guys, right? That's just the facts, right? That's the people who own the stores. They buy the books from Diamond Distribution with no return policy, right? So they have to buy very narrow on the margins and they have to decide from a shop, from, 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 from an instant perspective, on what's going to sell and how many copies are going to be sold. So they might buy literally three copies of Luke Cage. Why the heck would they buy Black Sands? You know what I'm saying? Like it's like Luke Cage been around forever, right? It's like say they still only buy maybe three copies because they think they might be able to sell three copies. He said, and this is their this is their thing. It's not necessarily racist, but it is saying that they they know for a fact that black titles, even in Marvel and DC, have a hard time selling widely in this in, in, in this industry. So your title about black Egypt is definitely going to have an uphill struggle, and we don't want to financially fund that. You know, and that was the rejection. It wasn't a rejection about content because they brought it in themselves. Like the lead editors are like, this is amazing. This guy's great. Look at this guy. He's right here. Right. And they were like, from the business side, they were like, whew, it's going to be a hard sell. You know, so that that kind of like lit a fire under me. It was like, OK, well, you know, if you're doomed from the jump, 
no matter what your numbers are, then you got to do everything yourself, period. You know, Webtoons, they they uh, rejected my title, you know, so I was there, I was doing big numbers, and they were like, eh, you know, we can't give you a featured title. And I'm like, look, I'm putting all, I'm getting all these new users to your app, to your, to your, your website, I'm doing all this stuff here. You know, I get huge numbers every single week. I have the highest quality content. He said, you know, I want to be featured. You know, you ain't gotten the main black features, like real features. So what's up? And they were like, nah, we ain't going to do that. And then, you know, uh, two years later, I made, uh, you know, BSP Comics, right? Uh, black Webtoons platform for everybody, right? And, and you know, because why should I spend my time building up their audience, right? When I could build my own platform if I have to go and do all the work myself, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, there's been a lot of rejections, right? And my response has always been to, you know, build my own military then, right? <laughs> Okay, you won't be, you won't give me a rank up here. I'll just make my own, and that it's been working for me. In the face of all this rejection, and it's safe to say that you weren't exactly printing money yourself at the time, right? So you're hustling, you're doing whatever you got to do. How did you keep going? You know, especially when these this industry that you're taking with taking on, which is a comic book industry, they're not even letting you in the room. They won't even try. And did yeah. you find yourself at times getting? disheartened and depressed or anything or were you just push 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 it was always push 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 i really wasn't disheartened by them at all you know all they did was was prove my prove the rumors true right people talk about rumors all they want but they don't have numbers right you can complain about not getting tv deals all you want but if you don't got any numbers behind you then you can't complain if tyler perry complains about it then i believe him because he makes millions of dollars regardless if somebody you know back then before he started like really making a lot of movies he was making millions of dollars before he even got any kind of show offerings and stuff like that so if he said he had hurdles then i'd believe him but you can't really believe the rumors if people don't even have the numbers to back up being a credible business so when i was there and i finally had serious numbers right and i still was getting the rejections i was like the game's rigged right and i can credibly say that you can't tell me that I'm just imagining things like, oh, you know, maybe they rejected you for some other reason. What other reason? Their minimum expectations, I mean, their, their maximum expectations of a new title is nowhere near what I've already done. And they would be adding to that because I wouldn't just stop selling Black Sands. I would literally be helping them sell Black Sands, right? So I was like, so, you know, that was that was the, the proof I needed to basically burn every bridge. Like sometimes you need... You need that moment where it's clear proof, definitive proof that they'll never work with you, right? So that you can finally do what you have to do to scale and grow. You're always thinking, oh, I, wanna, I don't want to burn any bridges with Webtoons or to pass. Maybe one day they'll, they'll accept me. I don't want to freaking burn any bridges with um, Dark Horse or Marvel, right? Because maybe one day they'll publish me. But when that dream is gone, when you come to the reality of it, you know now I can really fight. Now I can really go after them the way I need to in order to galvanize my my audience, you know? So you So know. with that said, we got listeners that are trying to raise capital right now. Mm -hmm. They have the numbers, they have the great market idea, but they constantly feel like they're swimming upstream and they're veterans. What advice would you give to them in this regard as they approach the investment community i think they should just go to equity crowdfunding if they've ever done kickstarters or anything like that 
or any type of like drive to fund something, right? Then, you know, equity crowdfunding is basically the same kind of thing. You obviously got to explain yourself a little better. Uh, if you if you suck on camera, just get somebody else to do the stuff that's supposed to be on camera, right? Your pitch. This That's one of the biggest ones I tell people. The founder doesn't need to make the pitch. <laughs> so, you know, it's like sometimes people are just not good on camera. They're introverts or something, right? They say if your energy is all the way in the ground, is not. Don't worry about it. Don't be the guy, all right? Don't be, don't be the face of the company. Let somebody else handle it. But at the end of the day, you know, you want to get um, you want to get people excited, and you want them to understand the mission because the product is the products don't go far. It's the idea that goes far. You know, it's not the product that. You know, nobody's buying Black Sands because it's a cool comic book. They're buying Black Sands because of what it means to the next generation, the kids, the luxury of it, to be owning a piece of history. It could have been a comic, it could have been a novel, it could be an anime, it could be an app. It doesn't matter, right? Because they didn't invest in books. They invested in an anime and an app. You know what I'm saying? And these things that haven't been made yet. So, so, so the end of the day is it's the idea of the company that they're investing in. And you have to be able to, um, if you could just articulate that to everyday people, what your idea is, and you can get $100 out of them, you could raise a million dollars, right? I wouldn't go for a million up front. I would go for like 200000 right? <laughs> go for 200000 give a small percentage, right? Uh, you know, have like a, a $2 million, $3 million valuation. Whatever, just something, you know, if you're already in business and you're doing stuff, the simple fact that you're in business, the simple fact that you got X amount of sales or whatever, and you have a clear plan to grow, should allow you to say a two to three million dollar valuation. And nobody would really care too much. All right, don't say like a $30 million company. <laughs> you know, oh, my app's gonna be like up in the billion dollar market. Do all that crap, the NFT language, and, and nobody's gonna take you seriously, okay? You said just just try to be, you know, Two to three million dollar range, uh, you know that's a great valuation for any company starting off. Small ask, small percent, right? And you know once you're capable of pulling that off, the next one's going to be so much easier, right? And people are going to be mad they didn't make it in the first one. If you've grown from point A to point B, there's going to be a lot more people who sign up on day one, right? Is it compared to the first time? So that's my that's my that's my idea of, of how people need to do it. Equity crowdfunding is there for us. It's not for anybody else. I know people want to think it's for everybody. Barack Obama literally said, "Y'all can't get money from white folks." <laughs> he was like, he was like, I I started this because y'all can't get money from white folks. All the money's going to, like two percent of the money goes to black founders. Less than two percent. It's less, less than, than uh, yeah, so right around less than 1%. Things like 1.2, they flex it. But the bigger issue is how do we get capital to veterans and minorities of all shades of color that they need to build the future of America? And if a group is getting excluded out, what you're saying is that crowdfunding is a way to go to the yeah. people, directly to the people. Yeah, 100%. And they buy in because they own Right. It's not it's not a it's not a charity. They own stock. Right. They own stock or they own debt or whatever, but they own something. So it's not a charity. They're in. You know, it's easier to convert somebody in an equity crowdfunding campaign than it is somebody to convert somebody in a in a, in a Kickstarter, because in a Kickstarter, they're buying a book. 
they don't like the book, they're not, you know, they're less inclined to help the Kickstarter campaign because they don't like the product, right? But if your company is specifically tailored to a certain mission, right, and the mission is 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 the goal, right? Then they'll they want to be a part of that mission, regardless if they agree with your product specifically. They're like, hey, the mission is what's what's important. So you know, you walk with a certain bit of swagger and confidence, and on Shark Tank, everybody knows the numbers where people get tripped up. And you answer your numbers with clarity. You're talking about equity. I mean, you are business savvy, but you didn't come from some elite MBA, right? You have, you've just kind of hustled and grinded it out. Where do you get this, this from? Where do you get this business knowledge from? Uh, well, a lot of it came from Vets and Tech. So uh, the New York branch of Vets and Tech, they have a lot of uh, startup meetings and stuff like that. Um, and you know how to raise capital what is the financial terms you need to know right what are the invest what what will potential investors ask you right uh and watch shark tank because <laughs> like just watch it watch like watch like all every season from the beginning you know because you'll learn a lot from how they think you know everybody has their own perspective you know they all are very different investors so you have to watch how they think and what drives them into deciding when something's good or not. For instance, how many times have you seen where somebody's making millions of dollars and everybody's out? They don't even give an offer. They're like, eh, not for me, right? And you'd be like, what happened there? And the reality is that they have no way of seeing the scale. They see millions, but they're like, this is a one-man operation. There's no way you could make 100 people do this right it's like it's like it's like it's just such a you business right that there's no way of scaling this so that when i put money in eventually if my money grows right it's like it's going to be around maybe 10 million at most in the future and they see it and they stop right because they don't see the, the growth potential on that now will there be growth potential in those companies sure why not right but the whole point is they're thinking from an objective standpoint of you know today right and you learn a lot about how you're supposed to be able to answer this stuff what's important a lot of people don't even look, know what's important in their things what's margins and stuff oh man i sold two million dollars of product they said great so how much he said, he said that means you must have a lot of money in the bank or oh, actually i'm six hundred thousand in debt and they were like what <laughs> Yeah, you were like, we got three hundred. I think you said we got three hundred thousand in the bank. We're gonna do this, this, and this, and it just—you're you're right. So the fact that you spent this time researching, listening—I mean, you were you were ready. You had your game face on. You know, you had done your sparring, got your world class training in. You were good to go. And and I think you bring up a good point because I saw it too when you presented this idea of you are building something bigger than just a comic book. This can be action figures this can be the video series maybe this will come full circle with the video game you know who knows maybe some massively multiplayer online rpg the sky is the limit and more importantly though is you sold the vision for it and people could see it and they want to be a part of it and invest in it yeah it was funny too because mark cuban didn't want to go too hard into it but he was basically saying that i was like yeah yeah you get 25 cents per book he's like you know the books ain't ding 
You say, you know the Bucks ain't the thing. When this becomes a show, when he's the director, and this becomes a big national, I'm like, I'm like, so you want to lower the valuation then since it's going to be so big, right? <laughs> he says, so Kevin was like, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you know, and, and Kevin Hart, uh, you know, you know, we made him curse. <laughs> Right, because because he because he was up there, he was like, he said it's gonna be a he said it's gonna be a money maker, something like that, and, and, and he was like, oops, sorry, I've I've got my bad, you know, it's like because because he knew from the jump, it's like he saw it that the scalability is out of this world if this hits, if this hits, and the hardest thing in the world, and this is the thing that I also tell people too, right? Not all success is good success, because out of all the creators out there who ever wrote a story. In the comic book space or or the manga space, ninety nine percent of them have a net worth less than one percent of their IP. So less than one percent of the IP that they created, the one they built for year for decades, and they only have like less than one percent. Uh, Stan Lee, you know, Stan Lee, I think he had a uh, twenty five million something like that uh, at time of his death, right? Uh, blessings to him but you know marvel was like north of 15 billion dollars right so it's like what like what the heck is going on there with those numbers right uh kishimoto his his best estimates is 40 million dollars uh that's his net worth kishimoto made uh, naruto he's still making baruto to this day he's still writing that day and drawing every single panel to this day all right this man's worth forty million dollars. Naruto's worth fifteen billion. You know, it's like it's just not fair, man. It's like it's like he's literally still to this day drawing every single panel and writing every single line of that story, and he's not even worth one percent. So not all victories are the same. That's why we did these plays with Kevin Hart and stuff. Is because we're trying to not give up our profit margins, our cuts of of of, of our licensing and merchandising rights and, and everything else that you normally would have to do to get to the playing field. We're, we're, we're circumventing all that crap by being able to do it ourselves. And, you know, hopefully one day we're at the end of the line, uh, at the end, at the finish line with 50%, right? Because you're going to have to give up percentages along the way. But if you go up away with at least 50%, you're going to end up like freaking the only one that's ever did it, who wrote a story and became a billionaire, George Lucas. He's the only one that ever did it. No one else did. Everybody else, all the writers and creators, they all freaking less than 1% because Paramount had to do it. Disney had to do it. They made the movies. They made the what's it called. They got the perpetuity rights on licensing and merchandising. They wanted video games. All right, well, Bungie, Activision had to buy those, bought all the rights for, for the toys and stuff like that. You got a cut, but your cut's insignificant, right? <laughs> So, so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to retain the rights as far as possible down the line while making the best shows that ever existed. So if we could pull it off, we're instantly going to become billionaires. Not only are we instantly going to become billionaires, but there's a lot of investors that invested in our company at the maximum when they were in the first round. So they invested at a $5 million investment, I mean, a $5 million cap, right? And they invested $5,000. That's what the government said for unaccredited investors is the maximum amount of money they can invest right unaccredited investor credited can invest whatever they want but unaccredited can has to have a certain amount they can do based on their income and five thousand or twenty five hundred was the universal 
like like caps and people put their cap in. If you put a $5,000 cap and then we hit a, a billion dollar valuation, you know, that's a million dollar, <laughs> that's a million dollars, you know? So there's going to be a lot of generational wealth that's going to be popping up out of nowhere, right? After, after we hit our big numbers because people invested very early and, and, and it just feels like it's inevitable at this point, you know? How does it feel to do this your way? You know, it's going up against all the, the no's. You went to the people. You helped Benil build generational wealth. What excites me is seeing all the engagement you're getting on these social media platforms by these creators, by comic book guys working at the Marvels of the world and all this other stuff. How does it make you feel being able to have an ROI beyond just monetary? This idea that, like, you're creating jobs for people. You're giving people the opportunity to invest in a company and a startup that they otherwise wouldn't have access to. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it is a straight up movement. It is a straight up cultural movement, right? Uh, one of our slogans is define the culture with black sands, right? And, you know, it is a, it is a movement, man. We're, we're teaching people how to invest smart, right? We ain't trying to tell them, hey, buy this new um, Asar PN, you know, JPEG NFT or nothing, right? We had given to me these 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 ideas. We're just giving them straight up real talk. He said, "Look, here's the numbers. Check out the audited financials. If you feel like this company is on an upward trajectory, invest, right?" He said, "If you think it's gonna be worth X amount, this. And if you don't feel that way, don't invest." One of the one of the most unique things about me as as a founder is I tell people all the time, "Don't invest." I say, "Hey, if you're not comfortable with it, if you don't believe in this, if you're completely driven off of, you know, um, absolute success rates, just don't invest because this is a risky business. This is very risky what we're trying to do right now. This is not oh, the easy, true beaten path. This might blow the hell up in my face. Who knows? You know, I, I'm be honest. You know, it's like it's like animation is one of the hardest industries in the world to break into, you know, and it's very expensive. And, you know, Hopefully we get it done, but the reality is you're taking a bet. This isn't a guarantee. You're taking a bet when you invest in Black Sands, and you just gotta be ready for you. Guys. You just gotta be ready to hold that line until it's done. Don't be asking me questions about how we're doing. Pay attention because it's it's gonna be a while. You know. <laughs> As you look towards that North Star, that big, hairy, audacious goal, what does that look like for you? Uh. Top 10 anime in the world, Black Sands. I do that, it's over. It's over. It's over. I don't need to be number one. I just need to be in the top 10 list and it's, it's over. It's over because I would have gotten there without any help. Like the reality is I still own most of everything and I'm in the top 10 list, which means that licensing and merchandising is going to go through the roof, especially in the United States specifically and probably Brazil. Um, but, you know, the. It's so different here, right? To, to even be a top 10 in the world, you know, even if you're like number 10, right? But you're a black product. But just be, there's like, they know that domestic sales numbers are going to be absurd when they put merchandise on the table that they're going to be offering 50, $100 million licensing opportunities for lunch boxes. I'm not even talking about entire brands. I'm not, just lunch boxes. It's gonna be like, yo, we got fifty, a hundred million dollars to print a SAR 
and the gang on some lunch boxes. <laughs> you know, and that's gonna be like a normal thing for us if we get into that into that rankings. So we just gotta get there. We know what our target is. We gotta hit, we gotta get we gotta land right there. And if we pull it off, that's it. It's over. It's freaking over. At that point, it's inevitable at that point. We'll be such a giant merchandising and licensing monster in that space that everybody will be fighting to the death just to be a part of it in any way, shape, or form. And they won't be asking for nothing in return. They're gonna be like, you know, I just wanna be a part of it. Not, you know, like they wanna buy like distribution rights, but they're not even gonna ask at all for licensing or merchandising because they know they have no leverage. They don't do it, somebody else will. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the power of fans too. You ever notice that venture capitalists, uh, venture capitalists will come at you with much significantly better terms if they know you can raise capital without them. I didn't their, know that. Their deals change up. Yeah, because they have no leverage. Like the leverage is this. If they, if the only way they can get this money is through you, right? Then they have way more leverage over you than, than the other ways. But if you're like, hey, I'm about to, I've done successful crowdfunding rounds before. I'm planning on doing another one. Once I go to VC route, they're going to be much more open to less control over you because they know that you already know, they already have proof that you can do it without them. You know what I'm saying? Like unless, they're like, unless they're strategically powerful, they have no leverage over you, right? It's like, it's like, like strategic, and you know what I mean by strategically powerful, like Kevin Hart, right? Like he was strategic, he had a strategic veto on me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's like a strategic veto. And on one turn, he could not pass up investing in Black Sands, or at least give the give the offer, right? And on the other turn, I could not straight up deny him and say that he's crazy about his his ask, right? It's like it's like I, I like if anybody else asked that, I wouldn't have done it in a million years. I wouldn't have gotten over ten percent if the regular sharks were there, right? Because they don't have veto power in that space. Right? How are they going to dictate how the anime is ever going to be in the future? They really can't. Right? But Kevin Hart can dictate a lot in the movie industry. Period. Right? And and and, and I, as veto power, I can't argue with that. If he says I'm in and I'm enthusiastically in, right? It's like I gotta be. I'd be, I'd look like a, like a jerk if I was like, eh, that's just not a good enough deal, right? Because they were like, because everybody would be like, wow, you really just can't take a win. Like that's how that's how it would be perceived. So I'm in a caught in a bad scenario too. I have to accept the offer, right? Unless it's absolutely absurd, I have to accept the offer. And and the same way goes the other way around. He has to give an offer because how could he deny this that's happening here and not give any offer at all? Like it was just one of those things where it's like it's one of those scenarios where do you really want this kind of PR to say I'm not interested in this when this is happening? All this movement's happening. Right, so it was like it was, we we're both caught in a double whammy. We were, we were in a double nexus. We couldn't say no. <laughs> All right, both of us couldn't say no. Right, and uh, you know I had to just eat. I had to just eat the deal and say, hey, you know I did not walk in here to give up thirty percent. I didn't. Right, but you're you you said it yourself. This isn't a hypothetical opportunity. Yeah, this is a real opportunity right here. Not only that, but like he's again, a, a hypothetical. <laughs> he's on his come up as an investor, growing beyond. Oh yeah, he invested so many Yeah, you're on the come up, building this mega monster of a company. Let's all grow and uh rise together. 
Now, yeah, one hundred percent, man. He's he uh, when he said that that was what what sealed the deal. He somebody talks. This ain't no hypothetical, you know, like opportunity. This might come in the future, you know. I was like, I was like, all right, all right, we got this. Are there any books or podcasts other than this one that you recommend our listeners uh, read or take advantage of to kind of get some really good business education that's been helpful to you? Well, uh, I only can really suggest one book, um, uh, Save the Cat. It's about story. It's, a, it's about reading, uh, I mean, writing uh, uh, screenplays. 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 Yeah. yeah, it's about writing screenplays. But it's amazing. Don't write. Don't read. Save the cat. Writes a novel or some crap like that. Different writer. Kind of confusing. Just go with. Save the cat. Right. Um, the definitive guide to screenplays or something like that. And it really is a business class on the edge on the entertainment space. Got it. You think it isn't, but just read it and you'll understand. He's talking about what it takes to sell the product. What are the rules to selling the product? What is the customer's belief in the product that you have to deliver? And if you don't deliver that, the, the product flops, <laughs> right? It's like, it's one thing to get somebody through the door or in other words, to buy the product. It's another thing for them to want number two. It's another one to have a positive outcome from it and suggest it to other people. The, you know, so, so you gotta have certain things, right? There's clickbait, which you absolutely have to have, right? You gotta get people to actually pick it up in the first place. But then you also got to deliver on the, the core things that the customer needs from this kind of story. Uh, and a lot of people miss that. They don't even know what genre they're in when they're writing. Like they don't even know who their audience is, their, their final target audience is. So they're just, they're just writing a story and then they find out, all right, now I got to see who I got to sell it to. Well, that book's doomed, right? <laughs> it's like if you were writing for a specific audience on day one, or in other words, if and this is not just for writing. If you weren't writing your business plan for a certain kind of customer on day one, right, you're going to waste a lot of money and potentially go bankrupt trying to figure out who the heck you should be selling to, you know, what products you need to sell to them. That's why they always said, um, what's it called? Um, five guys, the five guys approach. Burger fries. Hey, we also got all these other products that are great for restaurants with, that sell burgers. Burgers fries that's it that's <laughs> focus. what kind of burger just a burger so we could do medium medium rare what just a burger they don't get a chop option for that burgers fries <laughs> that's it that's it and the idea is simple keep it simple figure out what the heck your audience wants if they want more and there's a serious demand add more but start extremely small and give them exactly what they expect and that's it you know, I, I hate restaurants with a million things on the menu. They're never good. They're never good. It's like, it's like a menu that's like 10,000 pages long. And it's never, it's never great. And then you go to a restaurant with like three things and you're like, hey, kill it. <laughs> so I'll tell you, as a podcaster, I'm always learning. So I'm familiar with Say the Cat. I didn't get it. I got the other book, the screenwriter mm -hmm. book, Story by Robert okay. McAfee or whatever. I'm about to get this book on Audible. Because, like you said, I'm writing a book now. And so I'm taking it. I'm circling it. Now, we've got listeners, veterans, and military spouse entrepreneurs tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. Let our community here at The Bunker know how we can support and elevate the Black Sands Entertainment brand 
and where people can find you at? Well, uh, on all platforms except for um, Twitter, uh, I am Black Sands Entertainment. So just look up Black Sands Entertainment on any platform, you'll be able to find me. Uh, Instagram and TikTok are my most active communities, uh, Instagram specifically. Uh, and then if you want to buy our books, blacksands.com, right? Um, if you want to uh, become a subscriber, patreon.com slash blacksands. That's actually the people who get into our investment rounds first. So they get early access. So if you've never invested in Black Sands before, that's the perfect place to start. You also get our digital content as well um, included with your subscription. And then, uh, you know, we also have the anime coming on YouTube. So just, just keep an eye on the news from that. And, uh, you know, that's what's up. That's the way you can support us. I'll be sure to include those links in our show notes. And I'm got, I got one more question for you because I forgot to ask this. Mm-hmm. I have had so many veterans reach out and say, Mike, you don't know how inspiring your podcast is, how many of them feel like they're going at it alone and they hear the guests come on and give them some words of encouragement. So what words of encouragement would you like to leave with our listeners as they're pursuing their own entrepreneurial journey? Okay. Um, don't worry about other people's clout. That would be uh, my number one um, set of advice for anybody. People get awards all the time. Awards tend to be things in the, it's an insider community, the award community. Either you know somebody, you don't. You can't even be on the list if you're not part of that community. So what I tell people all the time is just because somebody else who's in the competition with you or a competitor wins a certain award or whatever, don't worry about that. Worry about chasing numbers. That's the only thing that's going to make it make a difference at the end of the day. As long as you're making your numbers, it don't matter if you get any awards at all. You got the best numbers. You're going to get all the the, the customers and get all the things. That's what you want. You want success. You want a career. You don't want clout. A lot of people out here with a lot of awards trying to figure out how they're going to pay the rent. All right. So, so so don't be that guy, you know, with a whole bunch of accolades and and trying to figure out what, how to pay the rent. Be the guy who's opened their sixth franchise of their of their business. Right. And don't get no awards. You know what I mean? So so that's all I got to say about that. You know, merit over over, you know, just straight up you know, awards. In the words of Steve Martin and Cal Newport's book, be so good they can't ignore you. Destroy the competition, crush the numbers, and let your work speak for itself. That's what I'm getting from that. Focus yeah, on driving sure that you, revenue. But yeah, but the, make sure the, the awards will happen. There will be people that will be in top 10 lists, whatever, and you would not be on it. Right? But if you can go and show numbers, it won't matter. Right? Like, well, they said they're the top 10. I outsold all of them, but okay. <laughs> right because it looks funny in the light when you actually do win when you finally win they say what the heck how do we not know about you they're like because i wasn't an insider simple as that that's it well manuel manuel my apologies i appreciate you for spending this time with us man uh our community is going to come out and support you we got to elevate these entrepreneurs Buy Black Sands. I'm going to get some. I told him I got Ironbound Boxing here locally. Going to get some for the kids. And uh, again, man, it's been an honor having you here today. And all our listeners tuning in to the transition, do me a favor and make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman, as well as Instagram at Iron Mike Stedman. Shoot me a message. Let me know what you think about the show. 
And more importantly, check out the links to uh, Black Sands Entertainment. Let's keep building. Let's keep supporting each other. And until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.